0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 929 AM Pacific Standard Time. It is the 8th of February, 2023. This is episode 668. Of Bitcoin and, yes, it's a full octave. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's kind of music theory. The uh, 666th show was the uh, unholy episode, right? 666. Well, in music theory, the sixth note, right? Like uh, you got an octave, which consists of a full octave is eight full notes. So you, Like, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G and then this, the a right after that is the full octave. So if I'm on the sixth note, that wants to pull you down in in music if if somebody just kind of pauses on the sixth note somewhere like when they're playing the uh, you know the scale, it kind of wants to pull you down and, and I swear to god this I'm not lying, this is actually part of music theory that was the devil note. And anybody back in the time that was, you know, doing music you couldn't do that or you'd get in trouble with the church. That's right. So you had to ascend to the seventh note. Okay. That was the ascension note. And it was the Christ note. That's what I, am not lying. This is actually a thing. I, I learned it in music theory. You had to do that. And that particular movement structured a whole lot of classical music, right? Well, the eighth note is the full octave. So we've come full circle. I am now out of my Christianity phase and we're going to get into Edward Snowden phase. Uh, It it appears that Edward Snowden uh, just raked some poor dude over the coals uh, live in in front of his audience. Uh, And well, you know, honestly, let's have a listen to that. (laughs) It's very unusual that you booked me for this conference because, you know, as a whistleblower, it's my obligation, I think personally and professionally, to ask, uh, is this you? Yes. Because I think that it is. Yes. And I think that the things that I've heard tonight make me very uncomfortable with this event. I think it makes me very uncomfortable, and everyone involved with this should really question. Uh, Is this the kind of association that they want to have? Uh, Are you going to be able to deliver on the promises that you're making them? I sure hope to God that you will. But my advice to everyone on this call tonight, everyone looking at this, is look up uh, what you're getting involved in. If you spent money, uh, are you sure that you want to spend it or do you want to charge it back? Um, And by God, think hard about if you want to continue this. Because for me, ladies and gentlemen, for tonight, I don't. Thank you so much and good night. Wow. Let's, um, let's take like a few minutes break and I'll write I'll be right back and um, we'll go over this. I'll go over the whole thing with you guys. This is totally unexpected. And I'm so sorry that this has has happened. A lot of times, um, same thing, same things like where somebody writes something and you know, these are these are the same stuff that a lot of people do where there's a headline where people look at and 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 I'm, I'm so sorry to see that he has chosen to do that. So I just need five minutes and I'll be right back. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'll bet you need five minutes, brother. Well, who was this guy? What was this all about? And um, yeah, well, I've I've got a, uh, well, I got a story for that. I <laughs> got a story for that one right here. Let me get out of that and get into this. And you didn't see any of that because I've got dual screens. And if you are watching, basically what you're seeing is me recording this show live and in real time. Um, and like I said, I don't know how this is going to go. For any If anybody is actually watching on Twitch, I don't expect anybody to actually watch on Twitch. I'm just trying to figure out how the hell this actually works. So let's just get into this one. This is from cbc.ca written by a woman named Laura Glowacki, I think is how you pronounce it. And the title is "Man Named in $4.4 Million Ponzi Scheme Keynote Speaker at Winnipeg Event. Hmm. A man that has been banned from trading securities for life, for life by the Ontario Securities Commission and the Manitoba Securities Commission will be the keynote speaker at a private training event aimed at Winnipeg investors on Saturday Sunil Tulciani of Brampton, Ontario sold unregistered bonds as part of a 4.4 wait 4 million 475,000 dollar Ponzi scheme using quote high pressure sales tactics on 80 investors between the years 2008 and 2009 4.4 million in a year ladies and gentlemen the OSC found in 2012 The risky bonds were sold mainly to members of his organization, Private Investment Club, or PIC. That's the name of his deal, PIC, Private Investment Club. Of the more than $4 million raised, about $1.4 million was returned to investors. Ooh, that's like a, that's like 25% return, dude. That sucks. Tulsiani, a former police officer. Oh, for fuck's sake. With the Ontario Provincial Police used his experience in the force to enhance his credibility with vulnerable investors, the OSC found. Some of the investors used life savings or God forbid loans to buy into the fraudulent scheme. Where have we heard that stuff before? On Saturday... <clears throat> Oh, hold on. (laughs) On Saturday, Tulsiani is the keynote speaker at an event originally advertised under the same How to Invest Your Retirement Money in Real Estate Scheme, which now appears to be advertised under the name How to Increase Your ROI. An advertisement promises attendees will learn about Tulsiani's private investment club. Organizers hope 100 people will attend Saturday's event. (laughs) General admission is $97.00. But admission is free with a food donation to Winnipeg Harvest VIP tickets to the event cost $497 with 10% of the money going uh, raised going to the ALS Society. The charity told CBC organizers did not sign a third party agreement and it does not endorse the event. <laughs> the Manitoba Securities Commission says the event raised a number of red flags. Quote, What we're doing is warning people about the dangers of using RRSP money for any kind of private investment, said Lynn Turliniski, uh, an investigator with Manitoba Securities Commission. He said the commission is issuing a warning, but they have no evidence Tulsiani is breaking the law in any way. We're not alleging that he's done anything wrong at this point. But it's just, it really concerns us the way that this is being set up. We put out the warning because we have concerns based on the advertisement and his previous history, end quote. Talinsky or whatever said attendees ought to be wary of schemes known as RRSP stripping scams that are often touted at exclusive events or seminars. Quote, you cash out your RRSP, convert it into cash, send your cash off to someone and whatever the investment is, he just takes a chunk of that for himself." End quote. The MSC investigator added, "'If people wish to invest in real estate, they should consider a registered product, such as a real estate investment trust, which can be bought and sold on the exchange. Quote, the thing with a registered advisor, even if they were to steal their money, which happens, they have insurance to cover it. They have a firm backing them up. When you go with a private individual and you give him your money, all bets are off. So Saturday's event organizer, Terry Stallwood, said he was floored by the Security Commission's warning to attendees. Stallwood is a carpenter, a house flipper, and a real estate trainer in Winnipeg. Quote, it makes me feel sick. I think they're just trying to ruin my event, and it's illegal what they're doing. It's just ridiculous," he said of the warning from the MSC. Stallwood said he has known Tulsiani for years, and that Tulsiani is open about the fact that he is banned from trading for life. Quote, "We have nothing to do with securities or trading or anything," said Stallwood. He's not here promoting any properties. He's not selling any real estate," End quote. Stallwood said. He personally will speak about using legal means to the RRSPs to invest in real estate. Quote, we would never recommend anyone cash in their RRSP. That's just stupid, he said. According to court documents from his 2012 hearing, Tulsiani said he felt responsible for the losses incurred by investors and the court heard he never intended for anybody to get hurt while he now describes himself as a multi-million dollar investor, Tolsiani told the OSC in 2012 he has no money and was in great debt. He and his company, Tolsiani Investments, were fined $281,000 after the Ponzi scheme was uncovered. Tolsiani has an upcoming event or an up event, yeah it is, an upcoming court appearance with the OSC on February the 6, 2017 on one count of trading without registration, and one count of trading in securities while being prohibited from doing so. The charges date back all the way to 2015. Th- this is the guy that Snowden just raked across the coals in front of the entire audience live. So they, this guy invites Snowden, a known whistleblower, this is what he does for a living, onto his show, or on, onto the show that he's keynote speaking at, like he's going to sit down with Snowden and talk about what real estate investment? I don't know what this guy thought that Snowden was going to talk about, but Ed just blew this guy all the way into the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And I mean, he just said, you know, he came on, he didn't talk about anything other than the fact, is this you? and puts a picture of the guy, the keynote speaker up on screen as part of a news headline that said $4.4 million Ponzi scheme guy and it showed this dude named Sunil and he was right there and you heard the reaction. He got caught with his britches so far down around his knees. It's, it, it was incredible to watch this. For somebody to just not bullshit That's what I keep waiting for, is people to stop validating horrendous actions. And the more people that we can get to call out bullshit, the better off all of us are going to be. And there's a whole bunch of other bullshit to go through. Let's get to this one, Bitcoin Magazine. UK restricts, sorry, restricts. UK government pursues digital pound while bank CEOs restrict Bitcoin Access, and this is BTCKC, Bitcoin Magazine. The Bank of England and the UK Treasury have released a consultation paper outlining their case for a retail central bank digital currency or digital pound. The paper has been reviewed by the Bank Treasury CBDC Task Force, which was established in April of 2021. Although the bank is still considering whether to introduce the digital pound, it believes that the preparatory work is justified. If introduced, the digital pound would be a form of sterling, right, that would be used by households and businesses for their daily payments. The Bank of England and the UK Treasury will engage with stakeholders across the country to seek their views on the proposed model according to the announcement. Simultaneously, the roadmap unveiled by Governor Andrew Bailey and Chancellor Jeremy Hunt detailed their aim to prevent a run on banks. According to a Telegraph report, the two officials have said that consumers will be prevented from hoarding, hoarding the new digital pounds issued by the Bank of England. To prevent large and rapid outflows from traditional banks, Britons will be limited to transferring a few thousand digital pounds into their accounts. The frictionless nature of digital money is seemingly seen as a potential risk to the stability of the traditional banking system. The previously mentioned consultation paper indicates that this limit could potentially be £10,000 sterling. Just as these developments are taking place, bank CEOs in the UK are blocking customers' access to cryptocurrencies due to concerns over fraud and volatility, according to reports. Executives appeared before the Treasury Select Committee to discuss the issue. Allison Rose, CEO of NatWest Group, told the committee that the bank had taken a pretty hard line on cryptocurrency due to the stability and volatility of the platforms and the risk of fraud. Social media and technology platforms were cited as the primary source of fraud, but the executives also expressed their support for the new regulations proposed by the UK Treasury. All of these events indicate the capacity for the government of the United Kingdom with the help of major companies to lock their citizens into financial obedience with strict regulation regarding the usage of each private citizen's money. The UK continues to make further strides towards the confinement and restriction of the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency industry while pursuing a CBDC system that would realize the worst projections of that technology. And oh my God, dude, what? Honestly, this is terrible. This is just, this is horrendous. Okay. Um, I heard a report yesterday that, see, this is talking about flow of money and the restriction on UK citizens thereof. Like you can't transfer this money. What I heard yesterday, and this may just be a rumor, okay? So take it with a grain of salt. But one of the things that I heard yesterday about this very thing was that you wouldn't be allowed to save more than 25,000 pounds at all. I mean, like, or, or anything above that. You'd have like 25,000 pounds sterling in your bank account. That's it. You try to put another pound sterling in that son of a bitch, no go. I don't even, at. I, I'm just, this is really concerning that the citizenry of the world is allowing this shit to happen when the citizenry of the world outnumbers these assholes by what? 99 to one? And yet we're just sitting here taking it? And if you don't think this shit can't happen in the United States, think again. I suspect Canada will be next to fall if this goes through. And even if the UK situation doesn't go through, I almost bet you my bottom dollar that Canada passes this and they will do it. Now, from what I understand, it's not on the table in Canada yet. But my prediction is it will be. Oh, it will be. Let's move on. What I've learned, onboarding merchants in Portugal to Bitcoin. Holly Young is writing this one for Bitcoin Magazine as well. Bitcoin communities are on the rise in the south of Portugal. A number of initiatives are actively seeking to strengthen and increase them, including meetups, study groups, workshops, and recently a telegram group connecting merchants who want to sell their organic goods for Bitcoin with a client group that wants to buy them. If you read Captain Sid's recent article, Homesteader Conversations, feeding your family and building a Bitcoin community in Southern Portugal, then you'll already be familiar with the Monchique Market, where the interviewed homesteader sells her wares. On my visit there some while ago, it struck me that Bitcoin would be the perfect currency for the peer-to-peer trade that happens there. I resolved then and there to do my level best to orange-pill the merchants, and to use that experience as a test case for rolling out Bitcoin education more broadly in the area. The market sprung up during COVID-19 lockdowns when the rules in law-abiding Portugal were particularly strict. Masks in public places, no gatherings of people, so on and so forth. The freedom-loving expat community of the area was horrified and non-compliant. For the people who hosted the market, the merchants and the investors attending felt like asserting a basic right, the right to trade. Some colorful exchanges between the market organizers and the local police ensued, but the market won out. Of course, cash is king in such a setting, so having plenty of change in your pocket was a must for merchants and shoppers alike. The commodities available in the market were largely edible, including mountain honey, mushrooms, tinctures, meat and eggs. But shoppers can also peruse clothing, handmade jewelry, biochar stoves, candles and bronze household items. I'd hazard a guess that most transactions in the market were for under 20 euros. Five here for a pot of delicious honey, four there to have your child's face painted or to buy them a couple of colored bracelets. The Lightning Network payment layer lends itself perfectly to transactions of this size. I was excited to drop a message in the Telegram group for merchants, inviting them to a free educational workshop on how to make and accept lightning payments for goods and services sold in the market and by local small businesses. The target group was merchants who are in a position to accumulate Bitcoin on their balance sheets as a private person would use a savings account. Spammer was the succinct, accusation leveled at me by one member of the group. In my idealism, I had rather hoped that my offer would be embraced. I was a bit unprepared for the occasionally vitriolic responses it, in fact, engendered. In a group of over 1,000 members, only a handful responded at all. Of those, about half were suspicious, negative, accusing me of promoting a Ponzi scheme or profiteering. Happily, the other half wrote to say they would like to join and showed a genuine interest. A few local Bitcoiners messaged me privately to say that they appreciated the initiative. We are, as the famous saying goes, early. In the end, a few people, initially about 12, signed up. A mixture of merchants and local small business owners uh, and a lovely couple visiting from Eastern Europe and looking at Portugal as a possible location to emigrate to. We held the workshop in Monchique, a mountain town in the Algarve region of the location of the now famous market. A local cafe in the central square, Velochique, which not only serves excellent coffee and lunches, but also rents out bicycles to the more adventurous-minded visitors, not yet accepting Bitcoin, but were hopeful for the future. They generously hosted us. The best laid plans, as the saying goes... You know, in the end, none of the market traders themselves came. Instead, our audience was all small businesses from the area, some international visitors, and since then, however, several of the merchants from the market have reached out to request a private sit-down so that we can go through the same material. I'm very happy to oblige and will be carrying out this follow-up in the coming days and weeks. I thought long and hard about how to introduce Bitcoin. In the end... I settled on talking briefly about Bitcoin as a value proposition as opposed to our inflating fiat currency. This was a point which especially resonated with our Eastern European guest who reported that they had seen inflation of 25% for food over the last 12 months. We moved on to discuss the problems faced by merchants and small businesses. In the first place, eliminating credit card fees was definitely popular, paying MasterCard apart of the value for the beautiful fruits and vegetables we purchased at the market seems deeply illogical to both the buyer and the vendor. Secondly, and not insignificant to a cash economy, came the need for correct change, quite a source of stress at the market itself. For me personally, the possibility of hooking up vendors with the Bitcoin community and the Bitcoin community with people producing goods of genuine value is a key driver in organizing events of this kind. That interface will be an important aspect in the future for the success of a Bitcoin community. This translates neatly for vendors who are keen to access new client groups. This was the last content point we covered in the workshop before a demonstration of using Lightning. I was assisted in this by a family member and I was delighted to have his support. A technical expert, he had informed me ahead of time about how useful he found Coin. Sorry, CoinOS. .io to be, and we had explored its potential together. He gave a brief explanation of what a wallet is and how easy CoinOS is to use. Participants were particularly impressed that on CoinOS, it's possible to add a profile picture, a feature not yet available on other Lightning's uh, wallets like Blue Wallet and one which is nice for marketing for small businesses. Once everyone had made a Coinos account, everyone was blown away by how easy it was, and in just a few minutes we were able to transact. I passed one euro from my wallet to the neighbor on my left who made me an invoice. We passed the euro all the way around the table so that everyone present had the experience of creating and paying a lightning invoice. One participant was keen to know how to transact with customers in other countries. So we also practice sending the invoice via telegram. In the future, we'll be teaching participants to sweep their sats from the custody of Coinos into a cold storage device. Everyone present was very impressed with how quick and easy it was to transact. It seems that the expectation before the event had been that the explanation of both Bitcoin and Lightning would be technical and difficult to understand. Two small business owners committed to accepting Bitcoin then and there. I decided ahead of the event to cap the number of attendees at 10, as experience has taught me that more than that makes for a less interactive experience. Several people decided at the last minute that they couldn't attend, so some follow-up events are an absolute must. In the near future, I'll be helping various market merchants who make gorgeous scented candles, natural cosmetic products good enough to rival top cosmetic brands, crocheted blankets, clothes, and accessories, leather goods and organic fruit, all to accept payments on the Lightning Network. Following the workshop, there has been quite some interest from nearby villages with local farmers markets, so we are now happily browsing locations for our next ones. More events are planned for February and March, and since that workshop, I have had the pleasure of joining an international group of Bitcoiners, all dedicated to promoting Bitcoin adoption through education about the Lightning Payment Network. I don't believe much in predictions for the future as life has a way of coming at you from the left field, but I'd cautiously dare to wager that 2023 will be the year of widespread lightning adoption as more and more of us devote time and energy to helping it along its natural path to success. All right, so we've talked about that you know, extensively in, in Bitcoin circles about farmers markets. And there are several people in the United States and elsewhere, obviously, we just read the story, but in the United States, we've had several people go out and, and, you know, try to figure out ways to onboard vendors at farmer's markets on using Bitcoin and Lightning. And there's mixed reviews. So I wonder if it might not be possible that instead of going up to vendors at a farmer's market, that at that farmer's market, you rent a stall. A, like a, all the vendors, that you know, most farmer's markets that I've ever been to, you have to get a membership to that farmer's market. And that's your rental space. You rent a space on the street or wherever the farmer's market is, and you set up your tent and you sell, you, know, you hawk your, your goods and services, right? Well, what if, because if I just walk up to a vendor Here's what's happening. I'm kind of wasting that vendor's time as far as that vendor knows. I don't think I am. And if you're a Bitcoiner, you don't think I am. But if a vendor who's only heard passingly about Bitcoin and needs to sell you know, all the meat that he or she has in the freezers that they've, that they've brought because that's the way they make their money, they're looking at me like I'm wasting their fucking time. And they don't like that. Now I haven't tried myself, but this this is from some of the reports that I've had. Yes, people have good luck going up to a vendor and say, do you take Bitcoin and and actually try to buy something? That's another way that you can affect this by not wasting their time because you're actually going to purchase something, but your primary method of payment, you ask, can it be Bitcoin? And then that can engage engage these people. But I wonder if it wouldn't be possible to go to a farmer's market and like every hour on the hour, invite, you know, go and give a flyer and to all the vendors and say, hey, down at stall A32, or however you now announce it, I'm giving a 30 minute to 45 minute discussion every hour on the hour during the time of the farmer's market of how to use Bitcoin and lightning and maybe invite a guest. I don't know. Because that way you put the vendor in charge of whether or not that person is interested. It's just a thought, so I thought I'd throw it out there for anybody that may want to try that. Uh, where are we at? We're okay, yeah. We're getting we're getting into it now. Uh, let's do this one. <laughs> Alameda, Prashant Ja, Cointelegraph. Alameda Wallets, <laughs> resurrect to transfer FTT in the millions. Oh man, the zombie. Zombie horde is upon us, ladies and gentlemen. Wallets linked to the bankrupt Alameda research became active again on February the 7th, transferring millions worth of FTX tokens known as FTT. The Alameda wallet activity post FTX bankruptcy filing has been a big concern for the crypto community, with many questioning the merits of the law enforcement agencies and how these wallets are being accessed. The Alameda wallet address, brokenfish.eth, or ETH, transferred nearly $2 million worth of FTT tokens from the Bento Box smart contract on SushiSwap. Swap. Oh, man, this ecosystem is just, it's like a sewer. The smart contract in question, <clears throat> serves as the central vault for the entire sushi ecosystem. Former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried has a history with SushiSwap. The bank's dates back to 2020 when he took over the protocol from former top developer Chef Nomi. The Alameda Research 4 wallet bought more than 1 million FTT or $2.3 million worth in the $1.86 to $1.87 range. The wallet also opened a loan position on Abracadabra, currently mortgaging $73,000 FTT and $31,000 in cash. Many linked the movement of funds to the ongoing bankruptcy proceedings and believe John John Ray III, the court-appointed CEO of FTX, sanctioned the fund's movements. Ray III has made no secret of his desire to seize control of the assets exchange, or sorry, the the exchange's assets and those of its subsidiaries to pay off its debts. Yeah, that's his job. On January the 17th, FTX announced that it had discovered over $5.5 billion in liquid assets throughout its investigations with more than $3 billion owed to its top 50 debtors. This was not the first instance in February that Alameda-linked wallets moved funds. Earlier this month, on February the 2nd, blockchain security firm PeckShield alerted that Alameda consolidation received $13 million worth of crypto assets from three different wallets. The first, owned by the crypto exchange Bitfinex, it sent approximately 6 million Tether and 1,545 Ether, Totaling approximately $8.5 million US. The other unidentified individuals transferred approximately 6 million USD coin to the Alameda consolidation address. So the zombie that is FTX is flailing its arms around again. And, involve, and I love how it goes back all the way to SushiSwap and these bullshit smart contracts of being able to. I don't know, spin up pineapple coin or some such crap like that. But it's, it's, it's all so tiring. Let's run the numbers. Oil. We got oil. All right, so West Texas Intermediate trading up 1.1% to $77.99. Brent North Sea is up almost a full point to $84.48 a barrel. Natural gas, however, for whatever reason, down 5.84% to $2.43 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline itself is down 0.73% to $2.43 a gallon. Metals mixed, gold up slightly 0.17% to the upside, $1,888 an ounce. Silver is up a little bit over a point to $22.43. Platinum is down 0.3%. Copper is down 1.5%. Palladium down one half of a percent. Agriculture is fully mixed. Biggest winner today is sugar, 2% to the upside, followed by rough rice, 1.86% to the upside. The biggest loser today is cotton, 1.24% to the downside. Dow, down, almost half a point. S&P, down, almost a full point. NASDAQ, down, 1.5%. S&P mini, down, almost a full point. Screw that noise. Real money is valued at $22,990.99. 318,000 BTC have been sent around the horn in the last 24 hours that's 13,255 BTC every hour on the hour with an average transaction value still at 1.01 BTC, median transaction value at 0.017 BTC or about 400 bucks. Block times are low, not by much, but still nine minutes, 52 seconds, 0.12 BTC taken in fees every hour on the hour. And 18.25 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. With a 3.3% drop in hash rate, we are to 274.62 exahashes per second. Uh, and Dogecoin down slightly to nine United States pennies. So shit coins and altcoins. Well, actually, they're all shit coins. Nobody's learned their lesson. Nobody's ever going to learn their lesson. Because I, I get the feeling that greed is fueled by angst and fear and a, a, a sense of not feeling well about the world. I honestly believe that because I get the feeling that we wouldn't see so many shit coiners wasting their money. Yes, I get it. Some of you guys out there make a shit ton of money. <clears throat> or at least that's what you'll tell us on Twitter and Nostr but I don't have any proof that you're actually making any money. I'm sure some people do. And if you want to trade your life away, you go right ahead because it is a matter of time before you get wrecked. It's not if it's when I highly recommend that you give up your shit coining ways. You buy Bitcoin, you hold Bitcoin. That's all you do. There are a measly 8,830 transactions, but they are waiting on get this, 45 blocks to clear. Why? Because of those stupid ass inscriptions. It's just, it's not gonna stop anytime soon, guys. Just understand that. You may not like it, I don't. I don't like the inscription thing. I think it's fucking stupid, but it's here and I gotta deal with it. I've had a huge incoming channel to my lightning node pending for well over 24 hours now. And it's just sitting there. I'm not. It's not me trying to open a channel with somebody else. It's somebody trying to open a channel with me. I don't know who this person is. I just see it incoming on my Thunderhub for my Lightning Node. Uh, that's my interface that I use so I can see what's going on. That's, that port, you know, and it's like, dude, it's like almost 8 million Satoshis incoming. And it's just out there in la-la land waiting on shit. Why? Because Udi Wertheimer and the rest of that band of guys that just want to screw everything up and and laugh about it is out there screwing shit up and laughing about it. Does it hurt Bitcoin? Some people will say yes. I don't think so because I get the feeling like everything else I've seen in this space. When was the, the last time you heard about sushi swap was when this one story after, I mean, I read it to you. I said the word sushi swap, but before that, when was the last time you heard about sushi being traded for pineapple coin, being traded for something and then getting hacked off of a smart contract because of a a, a loan execution hack? You hadn't because people have finally started losing interest except for FTT or FTX and the zombie that it is is now apparently interested back in sushi swap, but it was a two and a half year long fad. We might be looking at a fad here. I don't think this shit's going to last. But it is what it is. Still, we got a $443.8 billion market cap. That is still 3.57% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 12.4 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19284840 of and 5358.14 of those bitcoin are locked in the lightning network valued at 123.3 million dollars being run over 16,088 nodes that we can see sporting 76,447 public payment channels again which we can see and 68.7% all that's being run over towards associated 11,341 Lightning nodes, that's gonna do it for vitals. All right. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. South Korean officials have traveled to Serbia to find Duquan. <laughs> Braden Lindria Cointelegraph tells us all about it. The hunt for the controversial founder of the now-collapsed Terra ecosystem, Do Kwon, has intensified, with South Korean officials reportedly confirming they sent at least two people to Serbia to track him down. According to a February 7th Bloomberg report, the prosecutor's office in Seoul said that the reports aren't false regarding members of its team trekking out to the Balkan state to find Do Kwon. It appears at least two state officials went, one from the prosecutor's office and the other one from South Korea's Ministry of Justice. South Korean based publication Chosun Media reported on December the 11th that a state intelligence official informed them that Du Quan had based himself in Serbia. There is currently no extradition treaty between South Korea and Serbia. This likely made Serbia a great hideout spot for Kwon, according to a recent opinion article from Minso Kim, a writer for the South Korean publication Chosun Media. South Korea has, however, stripped Kwon of his passport, which may make future travel more difficult. Kwon has been accused of being on the run since September the 14th when South Korean prosecutors issued an, (coughs) excuse me, An arrest warrant against him, an accusation that he denied in October. The 31-year-old fallen entrepreneur, I wouldn't call him that, has also been accused of breaching capital markets laws. While Quan is known to be a prolific tweeter, he went nearly two months without tweeting or retweeting a single post, causing some to speculate what the controversial figure had been up to but Quan recently responded to an evocative tweet targeted at him stating the, that he hasn't stolen any money and has never had any secret cash outs. So here's tweet in question. Ari Paul tweets this replying to Chris, uh, underscore CDC. Has he returned the stolen money yet? All that money he secretly cashed out, lied about, That was then tracked down forensically. I believe in second chances after people own their mistakes and take the consequences. Well, here's Duquan's reply to that. I find that Twitter is a good place for rumors, but poor place to get facts. I've stolen no money and never had secret cash outs. Happy to address specific allegations. In any case, good day to you. He's such a thief. To date, Quan denies any wrongdoing at all. The collapse of the Terra ecosystem was in part triggered by the DPEG of its Terra Classic USD or USTC algorithmic stablecoin. Uh, Terra Classic L-N, or, sorry, LUNC was closely linked to the stablecoin, with that too falling close to 100% in value. Approximately $60 billion worth of value was wiped out of the ecosystem. Cointelegraph reached out to Terraform Labs and the prosecutor's office, but have not received any response as of yet. Yeah, yeah and you probably won't. So Duquan, and, and this is what I find odd about this story is you'd think that they would have dumped this in here, but not only, not only has Duquan said that he's done no wrong, right? He's stolen no money. He's, he's, just, he's just an innocent bystander. Now he says this all the time, but you know what else he says all the time? that he's not on the run. Well, if you're not on the run, you turn yourself in because clearly an arrest warrant has been issued by the South Korean <laughs> authorities. Yeah, I know it's government. We all can't stand government. I, I get it, but I mean, I'm just saying, well, if you're not on the run, then why the hell are you in Serbia? If, if he's in Serbia at all? One thing that we do know, he's probably not in South Korea. And if he is, he's, he's in hiding. How's that not on the run? He keeps saying he's not on the run. I don't, you know, it's like, yeah, you, you are. When they catch him, it's going to be fun, I guess. Not fun for him. And not fun for these guys either. Uh, Bitcoin ATM operator CoinCloud has filed for bankruptcy with liabilities of 100 to $500 million, according to Coindesk.com. Jamie Crawley is writing it. Open cloud, no, Open Cloud, CoinCloud, CoinCloud, which operates more than 4,000 Bitcoin ATMs across the United States and Brazil, has filed for bankruptcy protection with estimated liabilities between $1 and $500 million. The Las Vegas-based firm has assets of between 50 and 100 million and as many 10,000 creditors, according to a filing in the United States Bankruptcy Court for the District of Nevada dated February the 7th. The company's largest creditor is Genesis Global Trading, oh oh no, which has an unsecured loan of just over $100 million. Genesis is a subsidiary, of, a subsidiary of Digital Currency Group, which is also the parent company of Coindesk. Genesis also discussed injecting equity into the ATM operator Bloomberg reported in November. CoinCloud hired legendary filmmaker Spike Lee to direct a commercial for it in 2021. All right, so again, what I'm surprised that this particular piece is not saying is that Genesis and Digital Currency Group, they're all in trouble, right? Digital Currency Group is the basically, you know, uh, like Genesis is a subsidiary of that. And GBTC is also there too. This is all this is all Barry Silbert's outfit. They're all in fucking trouble. And another one bites the dust for him. So, if they've got a loan out to these guys, you can kiss, you know, kiss another 100 million dollars goodbye if and when, and I don't know if it's already been done yet or not, but when Genesis goes bankrupt, and I know they've been talking about it, I think they actually have filed paperwork. Still though, if if they're expecting to get that 100 million dollars back well they're going to they they either won't get it back ever or they'll have to wait 5-10 years for this atm company's bankruptcy proceedings to end and guess what they're not going to recover that money this is why i buy bitcoin i i hold bitcoin <laughs> and i don't sell my bitcoin now more liquidations, or actually more about liquidators and bankruptcies. 3AC liquidators ask judge to intervene, say co-founder is withholding information. Stacey Elliott, writing for Decrypt.co. The liquidators overseeing crypto hedge fund Three Arrows Capital's bankruptcy proceedings have asked the judge to compel co-founder Kyle Davies to cooperate according to a new court filing. They wrote that Davies continues to withhold information in his possession that is essential to accessing and controlling certain of the debtor's digital assets. The liquidators allege that Davis and Zhu have failed to offer forthright cooperation to the foreign representatives and in doing so have failed to fulfill their fiduciary duties owed to the Three Arrows estate. If the judge approves the motion, which was filed on Wednesday, Davies will be ordered to comply with the subpoena by March 16th. In October, the liquidators asked the judge for permission to issue subpoenas to the co-founders. That request was approved in December. Then, then, on January the 5th, the subpoenas were served over Twitter. Oh, for fuck's sake. (sighs) I don't see how that's even remotely actionable. That's how Hoddle and Not got served by OnTA LLP and Craig Wright's outfit. Oh, by the way, Craig Wright has lost another one. If I remember, I'll try to uh, get into that one. I don't have a news story on it because it just broke, but whatever. Um, the co-founders have until or had until January the 26th, but they clearly missed that deadline. The liquidators wrote that they take issue with how active Davies and Zoo have been on social media and in media interviews. Quote, since January the 5th of 2023, Mr. Davies has been active on social media, having tweeted or retweeted dozens of times on Twitter, the liquidators wrote in the filing. Quote, shamelessly while ducking his obligation to his failed company, Mr. Davies has been recently active in an effort to raise tens of millions of dollars to start a new crypto exchange called GTX. End quote. A pitch deck for GTX leaked in January showed that Davis or Davies and Zoo had teamed up with Mark Lamb and Sadhu Armugan of CoinFlex, which underwent its own restructuring last year to raise $25 million to launch a new crypto exchange. The Singapore-based crypto hedge fund, which also goes by the name 3AC, 3 Arrows Capital, was ordered to liquidate in June following weeks of speculation that the company had endured massive losses following the collapse of the Terra USD algorithmic stablecoin back in May. Davies later confirmed that 3AC had lost approximately $200 million of its Terra USD position in an interview with the Wall Street Journal pressure-mounted as 3AC's creditors margin-called 3AC, meaning they asked them to provide more collateral to secure borrowed funds. The final blow came when Voyager Digital, which itself is now undergoing bankruptcy proceedings, issued a default notice for more than $600 million. For a while, Davies and Zoo went quiet on social media. In July, reports surfaced that the company's Singapore office had been abandoned and the founders were missing. And around the same time, Zhu sent what would become his last tweet until November. He criticized Teneo, the firm overseeing 3AC's liquidation process for missing a deadline to claim Starkware tokens, causing the firm to lose substantial value. But both Davies and Zhu reappeared on social media as Sam bankman frieds empire, headed up by crypto exchange FTX and trading desk Alameda Research began to collapse. Davies wrote on Twitter that FTX and its sister company trading desk Alameda research hunted three ACs trades. He also asked where all the FTX fanboys have gone saying that they worshiped SBFs every sneeze and were highly critical of three ACs. So the whole ecosystem, this is me talking, that's the end of the article is, you know, obviously it's a mess. But how interconnected all this shit actually is, we still don't know the depths of just how interconnected all this stuff really is. It's bad enough from what we know. My estimation is that it's going to get way, way worse. So, you know, grab your britches, I guess. Uh, final one for the day, coin census. Backs a lawsuit against the IRS over taxing state crypto. Yeah, it's because they are they are all in Ethereum and Ethereum moved to proof of stake. That's going to be a bad, that's going to turn out badly. Sander Lutz tells us about it, Decrypt.co. Uh, crypto software giant Consensus will financially support an ongoing lawsuit challenging the IRS's ability to tax staking rewards the company announced on Tuesday. In 2021, Joshua and Jessica Jarrett sued the IRS to recover federal income taxes levied on the Tennessee couple's stake-generated Tezos, arguing that self-generated staking rewards could not be considered taxable income under federal law. Midway through the lawsuit, the IRS offered to issue the Jarretts their requested funds, but the plaintiffs refused eager to get assurances from a court that the issue wouldn't arise in the future. No such assurances came to pass. However, a federal judge dismissed the case in October, deeming the Jarrett's grievances moot after a tax refund was issued. Many had hoped the case would offer legal clarity to the millions of crypto users who generate cryptocurrency daily through proof of stake blockchains, such networks, including perhaps most notably Ethereum, operate on a mechanism that encourages users to stake cryptocurrency with the network in order to validate on-chain transactions. In return for putting up those funds for an extended period of time, uh, users accumulate newly generated cryptocurrency. So it's little wonder then why Consensus, the blockchain technology company started by Ethereum co-founder Joe Lubin, is monitoring the Jarrett's legal journey so closely. Next month, the Shanghai upgrade will permit Ethereum users everywhere to begin withdrawing ETH held with the network through its staking program. Over $27 billion worth of funds are currently staked within the network. Quote, with increased liquidity in ETH staking, we expect far more everyday people to start staking, which means that getting the appropriate tax treatment for staking rewards is only getting more important. Bill Hughes, Consensus Senior Counsel and Director of Global Regulatory Matters, said in a statement shared with Decrypt. The Jarretts are currently in the process of appealing their case's dismissal, and Consensus will now provide financial support for that effort. Core to the appellant's argument, in the position that staking rewards should not be considered taxable income as no employer is doling them out, they should instead be considered effectively self-generated or created property under the federal tax code, quote, similar to a farmer who grows crops, staking rewards are created by the protocol to incentivize participating in providing security for said protocol. Hughes said, quote, created property is not taxed until sale, end quote. Potentially complicating that analogy, however, is the fact that most staking rewards on Ethereum are generated through a third party. Centralized crypto exchanges like Coinbase, Binance, and Crack and stake users ETH for them on a massive scale. Five such centralized entities currently hold over 80% of the ETH staked on Ethereum, according to Dune Analytics. The case heads next to a federal appellate court where a panel of judges will determine whether it should be reconsidered. All right, so they didn't, you know, these guys basically kind of won. Their original claim was that, hey, you guys incorrectly, incorrectly, uh, you know, got our money, and we're saying that you had no right to take that money in our taxes, and we want it back, and lo and behold, against all fucking odds in the I've ever seen, the IRS said, you know what, sure, here's your refund. But no, that wasn't good enough. That wasn't good enough at all for our intrepid heroes. They're speaking out for all of cryptocurrency, aren't they? They should have just taken the bag of money and left, but no. And I get the feeling, I get the feeling that they have been approached by several members of the Ethereum community with big bags of money, whether Ethereum or just liquid United States dollars, to say, hey, We want you guys to continue this fight. We've really got to, we've got to protect our bags and we want you to take the full brunt of this bullshit. So now they've refused their refund and honestly, a hard fought refund. The IRS doesn't just do this shit willy nilly. They want your money and they certainly do not want to give it back. So they had their victory. They had their victory Literally in the bag. And they pissed it away. My dad used to call this snatching victory out of the, snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory. They're going to get hosed on this appellate case. They're going to get hosed. Be that as it may, shit coiners will do anything they can to protect their bags. Recognize that that is the truth. And if you have anything to do with these guys, you're going to be on the hook for either you know legal liability or you're just going to lose your money. It depends on how far down the shitcoin rabbit hole you wish to proceed, but that's going to do it for the morning roundup. It's time for a joke and his dad says jokes. Big moron and little moron were on a bridge. Big moron fell off, but the other didn't because he was a little moron. Get it? Moron, a a little moron. Yeah, I love it. Did you cringe? If you cringe, then the dad joke did its magic. That's what dad jokes are supposed to do. They're not supposed to be as funny as they are just make you kind of cringe. So, what have we learned today? Honestly, not a whole lot. Um, there are all manner of shenanigans that are going on with the inscription and the ordinals thing, and it's pissing people straight the fuck off. And I, I, I understand that. I, I get it. I am in a, you know, I am in a holding position. I've seen, I've seen Bitcoin survive so many. Absolutely horrendous and clearly potentially crippling events. And just, it didn't even, it didn't even blink. If I'm a, if I am a complete moron, then I will have seen all that and say, but this time it's different. That's what the moron says. Somebody with experience will say the following, we got to wait and see. I'm not selling my Bitcoin because of inscriptions. You gotta do a lot more damage than that for me to get out of Bitcoin. And by the way, for all the people that are, that are doing this to try to destroy Bitcoin, what you're actually doing is destroying your own future, whether you're a Bitcoiner or not. Because we got the UK that wants to cap your savings at 25,000 uh, pound sterling. How much can you buy? With that, how much of a down payment on a house in London can you put with 25,000 pounds sterling? Not much, not much at all. In fact, you will probably not get any kind of bank to say, well, that's enough of a down payment. Well, how are you supposed to get enough of a down payment if you can only save 25,000 pounds sterling? And there's a whole bunch of other shit that can happen that you need like a, a big old storehouse of liquid capital for. I won't go into medical because they have the NHS, but the NHS is apparently falling down, the National Health Services. It's not doing well. You got major strikes that have been occurring off and on for a while. And people are having to wait in long, long, or having to wait long waiting times to be able to get to see their doctor and figure out what the hell's wrong with them and try to get that shit fixed up and you a lot of them before this shit gets enacted go somewhere else they go to Mexico or they go to you know Canada or they go to come to the United States if they have enough cash you won't have enough cash to be able to buy all the plane tickets and and you know room and board and all that kind of shit plus have money left over to pay private practice whatever the hell's wrong with you if you want to get it done quickly this is a bad deal so the people that are running around, screwing around with ordinals and inscriptions, you, you're kind of not doing yourself any service because this can be you. You could be living in a country where you're saying, well, oh, it'll never happen here, and then it does. And then all of a sudden, the, your only savings was Bitcoin and you actively worked against it. Now, if you want to continue doing it, I, I, I can't stop you. Bitcoin is for enemies. If you don't get that, you got to get out because this thing is for enemies. And right now the enemies are at the gate. Ba- about all you can do is take a piss on their head. That's not gonna do very much. How do you go, how do you navigate it? Just no fear. You're gonna have to wait and see what happens. My, me, me, myself, I haven't even limited the amount of money that I purchase on my daily cost averaging of Bitcoin. I still buy the same amount on the same day, at the same time, and I've been doing it every week for years. And I haven't shut that off because I've, all of this has happened before and all this is probably gonna happen again. Now, why do I say that? Well, there's a rumor and I don't know if it's true. So again, take it with a grain of salt. I heard as a rumor, 100% rumor, that uh, Rod Armor, the guy behind Ordinals in the first place, is working on something to be able to overwrite inscriptions. So if you, that completely, that actually works towards fungibility, which would actually be great. Now think about it this way. Let's say that you did have the ability to overwrite like a, a Satoshi that was inscribed. That brings fungibility kind of back in line, but it still becomes very confusing as to what the value that satoshi is, which works directly against fungibility. One satoshi is equal to one satoshi. You know, now I had a thought earlier yesterday and I was about to, you know, uh, write a note about it on Noster. So I'll just go ahead and drop it here because I didn't get time to last night. I had to make dinner. I had a lovely German meal of pork chops and uh, braised cabbage and uh, Spetzel. I've become a big fan of Spetzl, even though it's, you know, lots of carbs, but still, I love Spetzl. The the thought is this. Everybody's wanting software to be included in, in an upcoming update of Bitcoin Core at some point or another that basically takes the ordinal thing away. Well, that's a problem because there were two pieces of machinery included in Bitcoin Core that made ordinals, and inscriptions possible. One was segregated witness. And we needed that for mal- to fix malleable transition- transactions. And we needed that so that we could introduce a whole bunch of other cool shit like multi-sig wallet addresses. And without SegWit, that shit can't happen because signature addresses can get, well, they can get really weighty in the amount of data that they use. And if you got like a five of seven multi-sig, That's that's a huge signature. It really is. It's a lot bigger than you might think. So SegWit made that possible, right? Now the other part was Taproot. And Taproot was the key that you needed both parts. One or the other doesn't work for ordinals and inscriptions. You needed them both. And Taproot was what unlocked the door that is ordinals and inscriptions. And I've always had the theory, if you can write a Satoshi once, you can probably write it again. Why not? You've inscribed it once. Uh, You know, okay, let's say you can't. And this guy actually is, you know, Rod Armor actually is working on a way to overwrite the original inscriptions, which means that you could probably overwrite the second inscriptions and so on and so forth, ad infinitum. If you had to remove... If you removed one of them, let's say you removed Taproot, you still have Segwit. We still have multisig. Mal, you know, malleable transaction data would would uh, not be a still not be a problem. But we wouldn't have Taproot. Thankfully, Taproot isn't doing a whole lot right now except enabling inscriptions. But I would rather not see it removed because there's probably a lot of other stuff you can use. So what about this? Well, let's say we leave the 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 damn thing alone the developers to stop adding shit because if they add one more fucking thing. God only knows what the hell else can happen. So let slow down on, on, on development, but I'm not a dev. They don't know who the hell I, I am. And even if they did, they wouldn't care. So that's their bag, All right. That's all I can say about that. But what about wallets? Would it not be possible to have a, since the wallet has to basically interact with the blockchain. Would it not be possible for the wallets themselves to say, "Oh, no, that's an inscribed Satoshi pal i'm not really i'm i'm not I'm not allowed. My user doesn't like those, so you can go take that and you can go fuck off. So how would that work in the real world well let's let's say that i'm I'm Roger Ver and I've got become really excited about inscriptions and I'm minting every monkey head that I can because I hate Bitcoin um and then I go and actually want to use the Bitcoin and a few satoshis of which I have in my wallet have been inscribed. And I go to someone like you know an actual Bitcoiner who is selling a good good and service, and r- me being Roger Ver wants to purchase said good and service, and we do the transaction. And lo and behold, the wallet that the actual Bitcoiner is using says, "Nope, we've scanned it these these." five Satoshis in this transaction, uh, they're inscribed. And that allows the vendor at that point to look at me, Roger Ver, and say to, to me, Roger Ver, fuck off, you don't get my shit until you can draft me a transaction that doesn't have any of this goddamn ordinal inscription bullshit in it. Then, then the game changes from a technical layer to fully implant it in the social layer. See what I'm saying? Now, will it work? I don't know. I don't know if it can be done. I don't see why it couldn't, but let's say it can. Will it work after that? Like, as I say, socially, will, w- would that be something? It wouldn't be the fix, but could it even be considered a part of a fix for it? I don't know because the the attack vector is inscribing ordinals that's the attack vector if i have a wallet that can scan for something that's been attacked well honestly i'm i'm kind of lending myself towards screwing up fungibility by not accepting something so i could do it like this with the exact same wallet software in the exact same Roger Ver asking a vendor to sell goods and services for inscribed satoshis that vendor could very well say, yes, sure. I'll take them. But it's a one for one. You don't get that your inscribed monkey face Satoshi is only worth one Satoshi. And then now that puts it back onto the guy asking the question in the first place, can I buy your goods and services as to whether or not that guy will say, I don't give shit one about the monkey face. Sure. One for one Satoshi for Satoshi. I don't care. And at that point, you got a lot of users that start saying yes to that transaction. Well, all of a sudden fungibility simply becomes a question of the relationship between the vendor and the purchaser. It's, everything always becomes complicated in, a, in an organic system because there are so many players doing so many different things. A forest ecosystem, you walk in, you see dirt, you see trees, you see, you know, trash and litter. But if you really understand what's going on, you look at it in a completely different light. That one thing falls and the whole forest can be wiped the fuck out because it's a very complicated system. We see trees, dirt, and leaf litter. You know, generally speaking. Trained Eye sees 10 trillion to an infinite amount of potential connections that make that forest what it is. There's no difference here, especially because we're a cyborg with Bitcoin, right? And what's a cyborg? Human organic flesh and intelligence combined with machine parts and machine intelligence. That notion of where it is that I walk up and want a vendor to give me goods and services, And that vendor being able to scan for fungibility and me and the vendor having to come to a conclusion there and then whether or not that transaction is going to occur is a cyborg situation because we're both interacting between each other as wholly organic beings, but both of us are cyborgs and interacting with this machine and machine-like intelligence. And that interface, there's nothing to be sneezed at. It's nothing to be laughed off because that interface is going to grow and it's been growing ever since bitcoin hit the scene and it's not going to stop growing more interfacing between the organic organism that is us and the machine organism that is bitcoin are going to occur and those intricacies are going to get more and more complicated and the more complicated just my relationship with bitcoin itself gets necessitates that the complicated nature of that comes out in my discussions with any other Bitcoin or Bitcoiner that is thus engaged in the Bitcoin network the same way that I am, their connections are going to become very much more complicated between their organic intelligence and the machine intelligence that is Bitcoin. I'm not saying artificial intelligence. I'm saying machine intelligence to represent something different. Bitcoin is dumb. I want it to remain stupid, as stupid as it can get but it's still a type of intelligence. It executes protocol. That's an intelligence. The more intelligent it is, the more you know, protocol it can handle. But I'm just saying right now, I'm not talking about artificial intelligence. I'm just saying our relationship with this machine that is Bitcoin, that is SegWit, that is Taproot, that is ordinals, that is inscriptions, What can be done next? We don't know. But every time something is done next, that's going to force another set of connections between the machine intelligence and the organic intelligence. And then as the two organic faces of a conversation occur and we're both connected to the machine intelligence, that's going to guide what we say and how we interact with each other, what we will or will not accept. So if anybody out there is a wallet developer or knows one, let me know whether or not a wallet would be able to, you know, what we have right now or something can be developed given the code would be able to figure that shit out. Like, would it really be possible? Would it really be possible? Excuse me, pardon me. I didn't mean to do that to you. Uh, Would it really be possible for, for a wallet to scan for inscriptions on Satoshi's? If so, well, then there's something there, isn't there? Will it be good or bad? I don't know. It could be bad. It could be real bad, but can it be done? And it would be better to find out if it could be done sooner and find out that it's bad or good than to find out later whether it's bad or good. Because if it's bad and it's later, ugh, I don't know about that one. Uh, boostograms for the end of the show. I'm not going to let you guys go without reading the boostograms. You guys paid me money. I'm going to read your boostograms, unless you specifically say, don't read my boostogram, right? If it's not in here at the very front, it's probably going to get read. So be careful with that shit. By the way, I am definitely part of the podcasting 2.0 ecosystem. And this is how I get my boostograms. And if you don't know what those are, you pick up the fountain, Uh, fountain.app or fountain.fm go over there on the website you'll find out you can get it to your it's a podcasting app and you can get it on your iphone and i believe your android and whatever else and you can listen on the go to bitcoin and stream me satoshis and or boostagrams while you listen or later if if not but it's a way for for satoshis to stream directly to my lightning node, it doesn't go to a third party first and then comes to my lightning node. No, through Fountain FM, when you send satoshis through the app, the the only place that they can that, that shit can get routed to is to my lightning node. It can't go anywhere else. It's impossible the way that we've got it set up. Uh, now, first one, Nick underscore Dose, and this is from episode 666. Yikes. That's yeah, I I forgot to read the boostograms on Monday for this show. He says, if you mimic a mycelial network in a system, how would you avoid starving that system out after the growth phase? It runs out of um nutrients. But and this is the big but. It may die, but it doesn't really kind of die. It definitely ceases metabolic situations, so it's 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 starved to death, kinda, but moreover, it's starved into hibernation. And the minute that it can find, like accidentally, new nutrients, uh, it will re- regenerate. If it dies or goes into hibernation for too long, the remaining energy stores are generally used to produce spores, which are copies of its genetic code and a couple of enzymes that allow small mycelial networks to uh, to occur just enough to find another spore with a different set of genetics. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're off to the races. But if that occurs in the place where all the nutrients have drained out, it, there's not gonna be any growth. So start, you gotta identify what is the nutrient in any system that mimics a mycelial network. If you find that, like for instance, we just talked about fungibility, fungibility, is an, in my view, maybe not yours, that's okay. You have a different view of anything you want. Fungibility in my view is a necessary nutrient for Bitcoin to be able to survive. And at 2.1 quadrillion Satoshis, I don't think you're gonna be able to inscribe them all. And unless I unleash some out of my wallet, you sure as shit ain't going to be inscri- be able to inscribe mine. So I'm starving the system from being able to destroy fungibility by not spending my Bitcoin. And I was never planning on doing it anyway until very much later. But identify the nutrients of a system, whether that system is organic or mechanical. We are also nutrients. The the organic function of the human being interacting with Bitcoin is a nutrient. If you were to kill every single person on the face of the planet at the same time, guess what? Bitcoin doesn't matter. And eventually all electrical systems will die. The network will die. Everything dies, right? So we are a nutrient. Fungibility is a nutrient. Uptake is a nutrient. You know, uh, Velocity of Satoshi's flowing around is a nutrient. All these things are nutrients. You starve the system, then the system dies. It's like any animal, right? Now, Fatoshi with 667 sat says, point-to-point protocol, do we remember Netscape? Dude, Gopher. Yes, I do remember Gopher. Finger, NNTP, IRC, BBS. I remember IRC, BBS, Gopher, Netscape, but I don't know what NNTP or Finger was. That is kind of interesting. Gopher was always fun. Oh my God, it was the earliest, earliest uh, search engine. One of the earliest search engines there were and it was just pre-1991. It was such a mess, man. Uh, Fatoshi with another 667 sats says, The neighbor of the beast. I wonder if he meant number, but neighbor actually works here too. Uh, Saints and Sats says, send 616 sats says, Here's 616 sats to trigger any eschatology nerds. And I don't know how to pronounce that. Saints and Sats, you got me. Uh, G I G with 300 sats says sat is faction. Nice one. Now let's go on to, where was it? I got to get to the other shows. Episode 667. If it actually comes up, Bubba, 10,000 sats. My good friend, Bubba. Thanks bro. Uh, techie fucks. Just leave the money alone. It ain't the metaverse. It is money. I am just about done. Fuck them all. See, this is the kind of shit that happens, man. Bubba, Don't worry about it, man. Seriously, just let it ride. Watch the fireworks, invest in some popcorn, get some beer, and chill out. Trust me, man. I've seen this shit happen since I got in summer 2015. I've seen a lot of these things come and go. And every single one of them was just as bad. The pit of your stomach turning over and churning. Oh, this is the end. This is the end. And guess what? It wasn't the end. And I'm not gonna give it up to this time it's different. It's never different. It's always the same. Why? Because nature works in a fractal. Now, Fatoshi with the big one, 7,777 sats, that's the striper boost. I've been meaning to ask if you've heard of Xeno, Xenohormesis. It's a theory that the plants we eat give us information about the local conditions. I did not know the name, but I have suspected that as a theory for years. Yes, it does. Can I prove it? No, I can't. And I'm not sure if anybody else can. But what he's talking about is like, if I eat food, like I'm in Eastern Washington, let's say I gorge myself on nothing but food that's shipped to me from Mexico. I fully believe that I'm confusing my body's immune system as well as my brain. Why? Because the gut is an interface between your nervous tissue and the immune system. Be that as it may, I think that eating foreign food confuses you. And foreign food in this case is not Italian food, right? Or it's not Chinese food. It's where did the ingredients of that food come from? Was it produced locally? Because if not, I think it causes confusion in the body. I think that is a proponent of one of the things that's causing all the illnesses across the world is that when we say eat local, we're not just trying to support local merchants and farmers and ranchers and shit like that. We're saying if you want to not be fucking sick all the time, stop confusing your immune system and eat food that is grown within the air you breathe. So that the pollen from those plants is charging your immune system saying, I am spores from a mushroom. And then all of a sudden your gut says, I confirm that we are not in an alien situation because this guy's eating a mushroom and it's very much like somehow or another lock and key fit with the pollen that the immune system has tagged and registered in the memory cells of the, that's a thing like memory B cells or something like that, that causes these antigens to be, you know, start, you know, once a piece of pollen is, tagged by the immune system, antigens to that pollen are produced. And next time that your body sees it, those antigens are produced so that the other parts of the immune system can go kill it or go absorb it or do whatever with it. I think that getting the pollen through your nose into your immune system is one half of that equation. The other half to make sure that your immune system isn't freaking the fuck out all the time is to actually eat the food that produced the pollen. And that's the other side of the picture. And when those two pictures complement each other, I think your immune system becomes more restful and stops really jacking things up like rheumatoid arthritis. Why do I say that? Autoimmune system, it's your immune system attacking you. And we've never understood why. I think this is one of the components of that. I think not eating food in the place that you're at causes more problems than we care to admit fatoshi with 4567 sats 4567 says crush the bis fatoshi again with 1011 satoshi says i can't believe ordinals will fork the chain uasf was a fight for the heart and the soul of the protocol luke dash changed the way bitcoin worked to annoy the xcp people So they changed the way XCP worked. Who remembers XCP? Scammers moved to Ethereum. The chain abides. Don't get me wrong, I'm a maxi. But issues like this make people think they need to be angry. There's no such thing as spam on the blockchain. I agree, Fatoshi. In fact, I say it this way. There is no need to be upset. Lumberjack Hoddle, my good friend. I'm actually closer to him, I think, uh, being up here in Eastern Washington than I was in uh, Panhandle of Texas. With 1,000 sat says, it's been a pleasure seeing you on Noster after the bird app booted you. It's incredible how fast this beast is getting built out. Love the show. Yeah, love you too, Lumberjack Hoddle. Now, that is pretty much everything that I had to bring to you today. However, I haven't done One thing, and that's to actually look at the stream that is Twitch. Do I see anything? I'm not sure that I actually do. I'm looking for like anybody that's commented, something like that. Uh, eh. Do I see any listeners? See, that's the thing is that I don't know how to use, I don't know what I'm doing. That's That's what I'm saying. I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. But according to Twitch, I'm still live. So I gave it, I'm giving it a shot. I'll do it a few more times. If I can get people to come in and possibly comment, ask a question or two, I'll try to do those as well. You know, I've been threatening to make this a more interactive show. It seems to be sort of the way that other people are going. I kind of don't want to be left behind in the dust. So I'm activated to learn how to do this. And right now I'm doing it with Twitch. Why? I know Twitch pretty much kind of a little bit. That's about all all I can really say for you. Um, try one more thing. And uh, let's see, was there a... No, I don't want to see that. Okay, well, I'll just go ahead and close it on up. And I will... Well, shit, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.